Welcome to Hard Talks with Chris and Friends, where topics that are hard or will make you hard are talked about, where things get real and unfiltered. Here is your host, Christopher Velasquez. Hello, you guys. Welcome back. So today I have a special guest. I have one of my daddies, like we know. Um, I'm part of a lot of different families, actually two different, well, if you put it all together, I have three different families. I have my biological family, I have my drag family, and now I have my leather family. Um, and w- when I say family, it's just me and my papa. So it's just just two. Um, and it's a whole story. Families are so important to me and having mentors and having people to look up to and to learn from are so important to me. You guys know this, you know, I, I learn from other people and that's why I started this podcast and today's guest I have learned so much and how has helped me grow up in so many ways that I don't even think he knows how he has helped me grow up in both my leather identity just the way I see relationships and even as in confident I've gotten so much confident thanks to to his support he was there for me we I talked about him um, in Brandon's episode, actually, I talked about him and how he helped me after getting second plate competition and how I didn't want to actually go back. And I was for a minute thought of not going back. And he got me out of my ass and was like, you're going to show up to these events. Thanks to him, I, I went back and and I'm doing what I'm doing. But let me not, you know, because I could I could praise him for hours. And, and then this will just be a podcast of me talking about him and not him actually talking with us. So let me actually introduce him. Eric, Mr. SoCal Leather, 2019. How are you? I'm good. I'm especially happy uh, to hear that I got you out of your ass. <laughs> and look, and it's hard because usually I'm deep in an ass. So to get me out of my own ass, that was a miracle. <laughs> yes. So I've heard. So I've heard. Well, and I mean, one would say you're you go in fist first into an ass. So yeah, I've been I've been known to uh, to get fist deep in a few people. <laughs> to get fist, yeah, to get... that that's actually yeah, that's quite a fa- quite a pastime. You touch their heart from the inside. Okay, that's some kind of other extreme sport I've never heard about. <laughs> I mean, you can feel the heartbeat. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, there's somebody listening out there that's like, what? Like, a, no, you can't go that deep. Okay, let's no, be, let's no, be very can't. clear. You can't, but. I, I, I love a good fisting joke. So, <laughs> so how are you? How's your house quarantine? You know what? I, I'm gonna say this now. I'm putting the house quarantine. How was your quarantine? How was your quarantina away? This is the last interview I'm gonna do where I ask how's the quarantine. I don't want everybody to get tired of it. It's a question that's already been tired, and you and me have talked about this, and you have really strong feelings about this. And this is not the podcast because I am not about to get canceled about Corona and all of it. So. But I am saying this is the last time we're asking that question. You know, super interesting about that because (laughs) when quarantine, when we first went on quarantine, that's when I did Brandon's episode. So like I was his first quarantine episode. (laughs) So this is how how fitting to be your last quarantine episode. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, quarantine was very interesting. You know, I think, I think like a lot of people, you know, in the spring last year, I mean, I took it pretty seriously, like with a lot of people, like I literally like didn't let in my house for like, <laughs> for, like I mean, and I know, and as, as your son, I know that it was very hard to get in touch with you because you were scared. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even remember when I actually saw you that one yeah. time. I didn't even like, I was like, no, you're not hugging me. Like, yeah. <laughs> like my mom made um, face masks and you bought some. You were so cool to buy some. And yeah, you, you didn't even hug me. You were like far away from me. We were wearing our masks, talking. And it was one of those like quick little... Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it, that was really interesting. Yeah, you know, at that time, um, that was when um, when nobody really knew anything. And I know that we have a lot of older people in our in our um, community, especially on the leather side of the community. And then me, myself, and and, and Jeff, who I was with, um, mm-hmm. Mr. Regiment Leather, twenty twenty. He, him, and I had actually just finished shopping for someone when yeah. we came to see came to see you that day. So that was something that we were doing for people um, at the beginning of COVID. Um, quarantine was really interesting. I mean, I lost the relationship. I gained two relationships. (laughs) I drove across country. I mean, in the summertime when there was nothing to do, that was the one thing I felt I could do. Like I, I learned so much um, during quarantine, actually. Um, It was, I I feel like it was actually pretty successful. I I was one of the lucky ones. Yeah. And, and you for sure were on both sides, at least as, as an outsider looking into, into your world, you were on both sides. You were on the side in the beginning where you were like super cautious and you're like scared of everything and then towards the end you're on the opposite side where you were like i'm not saying you weren't cautious and you weren't careful but you were you were more free you were like out traveling you went cross country you just lived it up and i know we've had the conversation about even like how you're like la is doing too much (laughs) with the whole restaurants and with the whole everything so you for sure were on both sides of this yeah i mean i think too a lot of that has to do with the fact that i work in a hospital so um after a couple of months three four months and you're kind of seeing what's happening you're you know i realized that wow you know i'm walking to my office through patient spaces all the time. So I think at some point I, I kind of realized maybe you just don't get it just because I walked outside or I just touched something. I mean, I realized maybe there might be other factors. So I realized as long as I'm being reasonably safe and I lived alone, I don't, I'm not dealing with other people coming into my house, um, you know, stuff like that. So I felt like that was, you know, okay. And then when I went across country, let's let's be clear, I didn't go to New York. I went to Wyoming. I went <laughs> yeah. to Montana. I went to Idaho. <laughs> I went to places like that. <laughs> like to literally just go sit outside in the wilderness. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, and for sure oh, yeah. you're an outdoor daddy. You know, there's a whole bunch of pictures of you in the mountains and hiking and at the lake and all of that so you were i mean like i said not to say you were being risky and crazy but you were for sure outdoors and and doing stuff still following certain guidelines right yeah pretty much i mean and then you know as the year went on i mean i obviously um i think in the fall time in la you know you know things kind of opened up a little bit like in september october it felt a little safer i kind of used all my the, the information i kind of see at work and i'm like okay it feels kind of safe i started going mm-hmm. to yoga for a little bit yeah i actually got like bold enough to go to yoga in a room with 10 people <laughs> Yeah. I did that for a little while, but right before Halloween and th- those numbers started coming up, I said, okay, shut off. And I stopped doing pretty much yeah. everything the, the last part of the year. And then, you know, being one of the guinea pigs, I got the, the, one of the first uh, vaccine shots. I was, uh, you know, kind of out and about a little bit quicker once January kind of rolled around. Yeah. Um, that, that's enough. We don't need to talk about quarantine Dupree anymore. We can move on. <laughs> we put her to rest. We, this was her last goodbye. Um, and bye, bitch. Bye. <laughs> 
<laughs> but let's talk about let's talk about you baby eric let's talk about who baby eric was tell us where you were raised well originally well originally i came from you know a uh well basically when i was a kid uh, you know i came from a, a household where my parents separated when i was little um and then my mom remarried someone else um my stepfather who i later um, called my dad and i felt very fortunate growing up that i had a dad and a very strong granddad as well um so both of them really contributed heavily to who i am today i look back and i and i think about them almost every day kind of that strict upbringing but at the same time um, you know for my dad and then my grandfather was this really surprisingly compassionate um, really sweet man and mm-hmm. uh so i kind of got both sides okay. of that i'm sure you see that in me today actually <laughs> well i mean as as a dad you are both <laughs> as as my daddy you you i've seen the the hard sides of you and for sure the very sweet sides of you i i do see that as, as who you are now yeah I, and it's it's something that i don't really actually talk about that much um you know thinking about my childhood and whatnot but i know kind of coming through like high school and stuff i started to recognize that i was a little bit different from the other guys because i <laughs> knew that i liked staring at the other guys a, a lot you know <laughs> and you kind of know that you're not supposed to do that mm-hmm. quote <laughs> you know mm-hmm. this was like ni- this was 1994 were you even born yet then like it's funny that you said 1994 because i was born in 1994 so while you were in college no high school high school <laughs> high school <laughs> while you were a senior in college i was my mom was giving birth to me <laughs> yeah yeah i wasn't i was in high school at the time and then um i actually didn't have that difficult of a time um, compared to a lot of people actually and again where did you go to high school in? oh i was i went to high school in um, orlando florida um, being that it was florida in the mid 90s you would have thought that it would have been way more um, difficult to be gay i actually didn't have that hard of a time i this is actually a funny story i was 17 and one night i was driving home and there was this radio show that used to be on like this is how old i am i used to listen to radio shows at night <laughs> on fm radio and one of the episodes was around gay teenagers and at the end of that show they had um talked about that there was a gay youth group in the city and they read the phone number and i memorized that phone number i was driving at the time and i was like five 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 four 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 you know trying to memorize the number <laughs> and i called it and it was this older there was it was this middle-aged couple a gay couple and they ran a youth group for teenagers i don't even remember their names anymore but i remember that it was held at a unitarian church in orlando and um, that's how i met like my first like gay friend 17 18 year olds i had my first date my first sexual experience came from there second sexual experience came from there my third sexual experience came from there <laughs> but no that's what really kind of got me going actually so then by the time i went to college i, I think i was somewhat i was pretty comfortable with myself and um, were you i mean for for the people who know you well, you you are a good mix of this very macho guy and you have your little feminine sides where we talk about drag race and and you and me kiki and i think well, you and me i think one of the reasons why at least i gravitated so well to you is because there is this we both live in this duality where we're very we present very masculine and um we come off very masculine but the minute we're like just close to someone or the minute that a little bit comfortable i mean now that you say that i mean girl look at my toenails right now i mean they're like you know they're red and black like i painted them so so yeah i guess i, I i've kind of grown into it now i will i will take taking a second back on that though it took me a long time to get to a point though to actually accept my um i hate i hate even using the word masculine and feminine i mean i think those are very overdone words and words we need to kind of leave behind but mm. it took me a really long time to embrace that stuff just i I, I want to just for our friends listen I want you to take a note of how he said he thinks that's an antiquated way of thinking keep going <laughs> you look lost and I'm not going to tell you what I'm talking about so keep
could just keep going. <laughs> it, it is one of those things, though, that it did take me a while because I think, yeah. um, you know, as a gay man, especially growing up in the South as a gay man, growing up in a Black family in the South on yeah. top of that, I did grow up trying to not disappoint people. Mm -hmm. My parents were, like, my mom was accepting, but she didn't understand at first. Uh -huh. um, I remember she cried when okay. I, she, I told her. And, you know, so I kind of wanted to just be the model gay boy to her. Like, you know, as far as she was concerned, and again, I'm going to quote all of this because I don't think most of this is acceptable to say now. I wanted to be the model yeah. gay boy by not wearing a dress. You know, yeah. I had to be a top. I yeah. had to, you know, be masculine. You know, I want, yeah. you know, I wanted to like sports and do all of those things that a typical hetero boy would be. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess listeners to my to my podcast will for sure understand that because we've talked about it. I mean, I'm not, and I'm not even lying. Every person that I've had on that we've had this conversation has said the same thing. I had to be the best. First of all, I had to be the best in whatever I was doing. And second of all, I just had to prove myself. And I think one of the ways to prove ourselves, and I did this for sure, was making sure that our masculinity was never even a question. Like, yes, I have the, you know, I can fight the best. I can, my voice is the deepest. Um, the way I dress, it's not flamboyant. Because anything that would put us in that box of, oh, he might be a little, was scary. I mean, it was scary for us. It was scary for our family. It was scary for people around us. Because there was a certain connotation that, I, and I sound like an old person <laughs> saying this, but nowadays, the younger people don't understand that. And I don't believe in canceling people for sharing our stories. Because it's true like there was a point like before I graduated where Chris wasn't this flamboyant person I have pink hair now like I wear short shorts and I've talked about this here like I am free to do all these things but it's only taken me time of coming to my own and being okay with putting out there all these different yeah and, and, and to your point I mean the younger folks out there um, they don't necessarily I mean there's quite a few younger folks that do experience some of this stuff still right but thank yeah. god they don't have to experience that for the most part yeah. now you know thank god they don't have to go through an aids epidemic again you know yeah. thank god they, they don't they don't have to go through this concept of not seeing someone that that's gay on television or radio or any of that like i mean i was reduced to you know sneaking around the library looking up the you know the homosexuality section you know and sneaking the book around you know hoping nobody could see me reading this book from like 1965 talking about homosexuality i mean that's what it was back then you know i mean yeah. so yeah i mean now you turn on netflix and there's like in every series there's at least one gay person there's and and it's not the stereotypical gay person because i even when i was growing up like if we did see gay people on tv it was the stereotypical gay. it was the best friend who was ready to solve every problem for the girl but didn't have a you know didn't have a boyfriend and if they did have a boyfriend the storyline was always how it was a straight guy tricking him to kick his ass and that's not what we see now now you could just see a regular gay guy just be his regular self on tv which is something that we didn't have growing up and even though i'm younger much younger our experiences are more alike than i think the, the, the younger generation where there's more acceptance yeah i think the changes happen pretty quickly i mean i think you know as far as gay people like like i said i can certainly see the evolution of, of gay folks being portrayed in the media over my life i mean it's kind of similar to what we're seeing, you know, with trans folks now, right? I mean, it's like in the last five to seven years, you know, 
it's it's only been that recently that they're no longer the butt of jokes. I mean, I don't know if like for your listeners, I mean, if you go on Netflix and look up Disclosure, I mean, that's a really good documentary on how trans people have been portrayed in media historically and where they are now. I mean, I think that's, you know, so they're they're kind of like that last frontier of people to be included mm-hmm. um, in, in media. But going back to your story, when was the first time you realized that you weren't like the rest? Well, I was probably in middle school because we had gym in middle school. And uh, <laughs> this was back when, uh, you know, the middle school kids still had to change their clothes in a locker room. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know if they do that anymore <laughs> at 12 years old. <laughs> but, but yeah, so that was like the first time when I started noticing you know different guys bodies and you know when you're 12 13 that's right when you start going through puberty so you start noticing how some guys are a little bit developed some guys are not and you started you know yeah and it's funny because because everybody (laughs) we've i've had on i found out that i was gay because i was changing in the locker room thing yeah you know I, i unfortunately i think a lot of the locker room stories are definitely fading away because I noticed after about 2007, 2009. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really interesting how the locker room has changed in the last, you know, just in my life. Cause I remember uh, in college, you know, you had the showers on the pole with the six, six shower heads on one pole <laughs> and everyone would stand next to each other. I mean, the number of times I reached over to the next pole, <laughs> 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 you can do all that stuff was available back then you know guys would be walking around the locker room naked all the time the soccer te- i used to time my gym shower all the time with the soccer team like i knew when they were coming in and i would just go in there at the same time but nowadays you know everyone just covers up i for sure i still had the locker room experience and i think uh, maybe my generation was kind of like that transitional generation because i do remember some people covering up and not wanting to like show as much and you couldn't see as much um but i do remember maybe like in middle school we were a little bit more like oh we're just taking everything off and then towards like high school senior year it was i mean i did join a sport so it, you know when you're in a sport it's a whole different ball game because you just end up seeing everybody naked because you have to shower after a good game but yeah for sure i think maybe my generation was the last generation where the locker rooms were that 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 cd place you wanted to go check out all the guys at. <laughs> i mean you still can but it's but it's a little bit more clear now like okay it's a gay yeah. boy doing that like because <laughs> because i mean you know i mean even that like i go to i mean i go to gold right in hollywood right i mean i don't go yeah so it's a little bit more it's a it, let's just say it's a slightly more gay gym than some of the other gyms you do see a little bit more you know of that but like i said i mean i feel like that is one of the things that's been lost i mean just like cruising has been lost right? well but quarantine has for sure made cruising come back and there are kind of a couple of statistics that i read that said that the level and the amount of cruising has gone up because people are, are you know have not been able to go out have not been able to interact in the usual places so parks are the places we could go out and walk and as gay people sometimes we want to walk and sometimes we just our eyes walk down 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 and then our mouth walk and then we end up speaking to something that is interesting i'd actually you know that's actually something i didn't really do i wish i wasn't guilty of that but i am <laughs> but hey nothing not, hey nothing wrong with it i i, I maybe i wish i had done it but i didn't right yeah well for sure i'm into outdoor stuff i'm into you know public stuff talking about kinks and talking about sexy things let's talk about when did you find out that you were a kinky person well i was kinky well before
before I knew that I was. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the case with a lot of people. Um, I'm actually relatively new to the leather scene. Um, I uh, went to our local uh, Off Sunset Festival um, here in Los mm-hmm. Angeles uh, maybe three years ago. It would have been 2018. So yeah, three years ago. And then basically my experience from that one day just kind of led to everything that lay before you after that. <laughs> um, I basically started showing up at, at the at the local bar um, here for me. My, my local bar is the Eagle LA. That's my home bar pretty much. And then also the Bullet in North Hollywood I go to as well. But yeah, they couldn't get rid of me after that. I literally went to one festival and I never stopped coming out after that. <laughs> like, <laughs> And that's really how it happened. And then you started seeing a lot of other people um, being themselves. And then basically from yeah. that, you start you know, you start realizing that the conversation around sex and kink is more open and you're able to, mm-hmm. you know, hear other people talking about things that you kind of had shame about, or mm-hmm. you certainly didn't talk about publicly. And then you just start to realize, hey, maybe what I kind of like is more normal than I think. Yeah. Well, you see, for me, the, the word normal has always been such an issue. I mean, even coming out as a gay person, it's like, well, you're not normal. And it's like, well, what what is normal? There is nobody in earth who is a normal human being because there's no such thing as a normal human being because we're all complex people who, which one way or another, we all have stuff that don't make us normal, right? Well, that's that actually kind of like segues into like, well, what, well, okay, what is normal, right? So like, I'm sure people have all heard the word kink and people have heard the word fetish before. And it's really interesting once you kind of know what the definition is. Because like a fetish is something that just turns you on something specific that turns you on, you know, you know, you like, uh, you know, someone that has tattoos, or you like someone that is really hairy, like that turns you on, Mm -hmm. right? Like, that's a specific thing. So that's like, that's a fetish. But a kink is something that's outside of normal for you. Mm -hmm. So like for someone, you know, eating, eating butt is kinky, right? But for me, that's like a Tuesday. So (laughs) (laughs) you're like, I I usually do that after brunch, right? So that's what I was saying. So, so kink is, kink is something that is outside of your normal and is kinky to you so that thing that's really important right because i don't think so people don't get caught up on kinky having to be something super extreme it's just something that's different and outside of their normal. so papa what is your baseline and what is the outside of the baseline well okay so i mean there are there's obviously (laughs) certain things that are that are definitely kinky i mean like obviously doing things in public i mean that's kind of semi-normal for me but i mean i would still call that kinky though because it's not like you know what i mean like you can get trouble for it right <laughs> yeah so well i mean the that's part of the key the knowing that you could get in trouble yeah, for yeah. This and that someone could walk into it right i mean that kind of goes back to the locker room i mean how many times are people in the locker room with the with the, with the curtains open in the shower and doing what you know stuff like that no. no but um no but but for more serious things i mean i am a fister i mean that's actually still considered a fairly extreme king so that is one of the things that i'm into i would definitely say that is my most extreme thing i mean obviously i'm sure you've heard of other things that are even more extreme that we won't get into but yeah so that public um okay so we like fisting what else do we like? i know you're a kinky person there's nothing so extreme that well that we what, so about. a new so a new kink that i have actually well i guess it's not a new kink but i actually just bought a toy so i can explore it now with other people um i'm into electroplay um, okay yeah it's one of those things that i um experienced just by being um out at the bars whenever they would have like a demo night or something like that and you have a chance to experience something and um i had one of my brothers uh teach me about the 
the devices and how to play with someone safely with electricity. That is a kink that I like because every time I've gone to places where they have it, like I'm like the first one to be like, okay, how do I get, how do I get this person to do it to me? It just seems too much for it to be like a regular part of my sexual interactions. But it is something that like every time that I see it, I'm like, I need to do it. Yeah, you know, and, and just for people listening, and like I would say that like if you're a person that likes sensation, then there's mm. probably a chance that you may be interested in electricity. It's not as scary as it sounds, trust me. Um, oh, it's, it's actually, not at all. Yeah, it, it, and, and it is one where you have to know a lot of safety. But mm. outside of that, um, if you're playing with playing with uh, the proper toys. I love it. And and every time, every time I've seen it, like I said, like I've seen it at the bullet, Fernando and his partner do it at the bullet um i've seen them do it at la pride at long beach pride i'm always like yes like let me get it done yeah i mean i think with any kink um it's very important to not just try it willy-nilly like with no other education that's how people get hurt um, that's yeah. how people have a bad experience and they never come back to doing that again so i can't emphasize enough you know the importance of getting your education first before not yeah. not only not only not to judge something before you get educated about it but not to try it before you get educated about it i actually like a lot of sensation things one thing i'm not really into is bondage to be honest that's like i actually i actually want to learn rope work just so I can indulge in someone else's like of bondage but like for myself I have no interest in it something else that's interesting that people may not have heard of is sensory deprivation when you put on one of those I mean I think people might remember this like from the Pulp Fiction movie when the gimp came out and he had that big hood on you know where his mouth was zipped up and he had, it was completely covered up yeah they have yeah. hoods like that and those hoods are designed to keep you from being able to see hear taste or smell so the only thing that you have is is your touch right yeah so someone can do whatever they want to you um i actually really uh, like that as well we've talked about all of them but there's one that i specifically didn't ask any questions about because it's the one that thanks to you i've learned a lot about <laughs> and not because you've done it to me and i the, let the record show that this one i no no <laughs> Um, actually, yes, we've, we've, we have forgotten the golden showers. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That's, I did forget that one. That's, uh, that's interesting. Can I talk about that for a second? Yeah, I'll talk about it. <laughs> golden showers. I swear that is really interesting. I'm surprised I didn't bring it up either. That was one that I have had experience maybe like, God, it's a long time ago. And I remember the first time someone was like, um, yeah, can you pee on me? I was like, mm, okay. And I just did it. And, uh, I didn't really understand what the, what the deal was with it you know mm -hmm. I, I was like what are they getting out of it like i don't understand it right um but as time has gone on especially like the last like maybe two years i've gotten way more interested into it um, okay. <laughs> interestingly enough like it's this is actually really funny like I, literally a couple of weeks ago i was at palm springs and um i was just on this kick where like i just wanted like i just wanted piss right <laughs> can i say that no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um I just wanted it. I, I did. I, yeah, I just wanted it. And my fiance who always has to go to the bathroom, like every five seconds, I had a cup and I, uh, you know, I had a drink that I was almost finished with yeah. and I had a cup and I was like, Hmm, fill this up. So he did. So we had like, uh, it's actually on video. I don't, I haven't even showed it to you. Actually. <laughs> there was like two, <laughs> there was like two oranges and a cherry and a, and, and a glass with some ice and some leftover, like whatever alcohol that was. I think there was Kila and something else. And I had him fill it all up with, with uh, his golden 
sour. And um, <laughs> it just, it, and I had it and I was like, wow, this is actually really good. You can't even taste it. That's, it, I mean, it's an interesting thing. And for sure, it's not my, my cup of tea. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> <you're> not, <laughs> you, you can't, you, you can't taste it. I just told you sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've gotten asked while taking showers with people and stuff, and they're like, "Hey, do you mind it?" And it's not that I that I'm like so against it. I've been like, "Yeah, sure, I'm in the shower. It's no big deal." Um, but I think that's the farthest my golden showers go. Like the golden rule, I don't yuck other people's yums. For sure, it seems like it's a very yum for you. It's a mo- it's a mo- it's a moderate yum for me. Um, but the one that I was talking about is fisting. Um, oh. I have learned a lot about fisting, and and I have been um curious about doing it. I don't think I'm actually ever gonna do it. But I have opened, and you have been someone who has helped me open. Not in that way. Opened my eyes in, into the world of fisting and hearing you talk about it and the love you, you have for it and the way you just light up when you talk about it is very interesting and has for sure. And like I said, all of, you know, this is all about learning from other people and for sure getting your point of view from it. Yeah. Talk about fisting. Yeah. I, I, I love talking about fisting. Um, Do you have an hour to talk about fisting, sir? I can, I can give you two hours. No. So <laughs> interestingly enough, the first time I fisted somebody, I, I had only maybe seen it in a video a couple of times and there was this guy that I used to hook up with where I used to live and we used to fuck semi-regularly and one day he asked me, he's like, um, can you fist me? And I was like, what? Okay. Like, it's funny how all these things that I found so kind of interesting, I'm like, okay, I'll do it though. Right? <laughs> and um, like, Let me look at my... Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, so, so long story short, um, I, I, I didn't really know what to do and he hadn't really been that experienced with it. He had had it done a few times before but it had been a really long time and it seemed like maybe someone had always done it for him in the sense that they had gotten everything ready and all that stuff so I didn't really know what to do like I the only thing that I knew what to do was well Crisco works they always joke about Crisco right and in, in movies and stuff right so I literally went and bought Crisco and yeah, yeah it does work by the way uh, <laughs> but yeah so long story short you know we worked together he kind of like was just telling me how he was feeling like how you kind of warm up that area and you know you, you just can't go in like that right you have mm-hmm. to you know you have to finger you have to you know massage you have to it, there's actually a lot of work that goes into it long story short i mean after about an hour i was in him i was like wow this is really cool and i think it, at some point during that i realized how intimate it was because it's not like when you you are penetrating someone you know from fucking because i i almost feel like well anybody can do that like anybody can just put a dick in a hole i mean the easiest thing to do but fisting is like so much different you have to study the body so much differently um especially if you're good at it everybody is different back there like canals are different widths and lengths and curves in different places you know the entrances to the next hole is in different kind of moves around a little bit in different people like you have to kind of like really understand what's going on but in the process you're breathing with that person you're listening to that person's body you know you're feeling that person's heartbeat on the inside like you're really focused it's almost like two brains have connected on this wavelength of this is what we're doing together and if i could ask you because i think this is the first time that i've had someone who's actually as into fisting what are some of those preparations that you'd take i mean you said you know he didn't know these preparations now as 
someone who's done it for a while, what are some of these preparations that you do take? Yeah, it's actually, I'm actually really glad you um, bring this up. And, 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 and before I even kind of go there, I'll say the reason, one reason why I realize how important this is now is because um, a lot of the people that I've met um, to fist um, have come from Grindr. Um, I know there's other apps out there like Recon and stuff like that, where people are a little bit more um, into kinks and stuff like that. But on Grindr, I've actually met fi- uh, guys that are into bottoming, you know, taking a fist and they, mm-hmm. they've given me so many horror stories. So, so apparently there's a lot of people that want to fist as a top and they aren't very sensual. They're kind of rough. They don't really know what they're doing. And I've heard like the worst stories from fisting bottom. So it's really, really important as a fisting top to really turn on your sensual side and stop being rough and slow the fuck down yeah. and actually listen to someone's body. Anyway, but th- let me get off my high horse for a second. So some of, <laughs> some of the preparations though, I'm like the first thing, obviously check your nails. I mean, you can't have any like hangy parts off your nails, like no sharp edges, none of that stuff. Like you get a nail file. Okay. There's $3 invest in a nail file make sure that you have nice clean hands um one other thing i usually do is um you have to make the lube because i think i think a lot of people think that you can just use regular lube i mean theoretically sure you could use gun oil but that's going to be you know how expensive gun oil is you're going to use a whole bottle of gun oil trying to get in someone like that like you and it's not even the best way to do it they actually have this other there's actually a a few other types of lubricant uh you can actually look up j like as in the you know the letter j lube uh they sell it on amazon it's like i think you get on amazon for like 20 bucks it's like a powder and you you essentially just uh mix powder and water in the right proportion and you're making a very slick very slick but very durable lube um Mm -hmm. that kind of um I'm trying to it's I don't want to say it's plasticky but it's almost like a it kind of feels like a I don't know it doesn't feel like regular lube anymore but it's super slick they actually use it in artificial insemination of animals on farm that's where this comes from <laughs> you know what sure <laughs> I mean but, but you know if it's good enough to stick a hand in a horse then <laughs> I mean you know that's that's where it comes what's from. good enough I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's someone that said that said that one day. What if it's good enough for my horse? It's a good enough for my yeah. Husband. But no, but 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 <laughs> but in all honesty, though, that actually is a major. That's a major thing, like having the right lubricant and having it mixed well. And then for me, like I said, this is where everybody's different. But for me, like I usually try to set up my um, environment, my play area, in a way that's at least you know welcoming for a person. Now I just live in a studio apartment, so I don't have like a sling and all these other like fancy things. But I do make sure that you know I bring like a like a chair to sit on like I put pillows out you don't use your regular bed sheets right you need to put other sheets down I actually buy um buy puppy pads you know like you know to absorb all of the liquid and yeah. lube and stuff that will come out and um you know it's that pre-care you know I was having this conversation with someone that you know kinky sex or fetish sex always is more than just it's the it's the care before and the care after you know the making someone feel comfortable with you you guys are gonna do stuff that are not the normal stuff so you there is a a certain level of what's the word like there's a certain level of agreement that I'm putting myself in your case, I'm putting myself in your hand and that you're going to take care of me. It's a trust. In, right? And and there's a certain, you know, you as the top have to make sure that your place feels welcoming, that, you're, that you know that these are the things you need and that you have those things for whatever reason. And, and yes, 
obviously for fisting it's important but it's important even if you're just quote unquote having vanilla sex you know like as if i'm bottoming which doesn't almost never happens but if i'm bottoming and i walk into a house and it feels like i'm just an afterthought i'm not it's not gonna work no matter what right but if i walk in and it seems like someone actually took the time to make sure that the atmosphere was good that the lighting was put in a certain way if there was music if there's all those things it will make it overall a better experience right and then when you're done it should be the same you know i shouldn't feel like you know those grinder hookups where like you're done and then you just put up your pants and you're like on your way out and you're like oh yeah sure like just okay i'll see you next week there's a little bit of the aftercare making sure that the person especially with with kinks you want to make sure that like that person feels like you took care of them because you guys did just share a, a deep moment literally um i was gonna say because yeah yeah you kind of hit a lot of that stuff on the head um you know a lot of king it's much more than just sex it's actually intimate and a person is literally trusting you with their body particularly the depending on what kink it is. I mean, sometimes it's even more than others. I mean, I imagine like piercing scenes and, you know, and other things like that. But yeah, with, with like with, with fisting, yeah, absolutely. I mean, making the per- making the bottom feel not only welcomed, but, you know, you're building a bond. It's a very, I almost, I, I almost say that fisting might be the most intimate thing in any type of sexual connection, like ever, for at least for me anyway. And, and, and it is, what does, so you have the lube, um, you as the top, I guess, you know, you file your nails and you put down the, tar- the tarp and ready but what does the bottom do to prepare so i have never bottomed as a fisty but <laughs> but when it, but i have i have learned right i mean obviously as someone yeah. that's kind of educating and stuff like that as well i mean you take the time to understand when a bottom goes through um one of the first things i actually did when i knew that i was going to be doing this regularly is i made sure i had a hose in my house <laughs> Because you, as a bottom, have to clean pretty deep. Now, if you're a a new fisty, you're not going to be taking a fist that deep. So you probably aren't necessarily cleaning that much more than you would for just a normal encounter. But for someone that starts developing a little bit more, you know, start getting more experienced and, you know, you're getting beyond a wrist. um, Yeah, you're going to have to deep clean. And usually that involves cleaning once pretty deep and then kind of waiting around. And then a couple of hours later, you do it again. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Like, so, so the one thing you don't do as a fisting top is stand up somebody that you had a fisting bottom date with. <laughs> Cause that person hasn't eaten in two days and they sit in the shower for four <laughs> hours to get ready. Like, but yeah, there's a lot of preparation for that. And then, you know, in the bottom, they have to get in that mental space as well too. Right. Because you just can't open up that hole like that for anybody. I mean, I guess some people yeah. can, but not everybody can do that. So, you know, making sure that you're showing that uh, you're about to respect their body is really, really important. And then what's that aftercare? I mean, we talked about how important it is for both sides, you know, for the, for the top that just put their fist and maybe their forearm into the bottom. And, you know, what's that aftercare for the bottom who just got their hole destroyed in a very big way well there's a few things um that i typically would do i mean like the first thing is always making sure that you know hey do you need some water or you know something don't make them get up like basically like don't make them feel like they have to move you know like if they want to turn you know flip over on their back or something you know it depends on what side i guess they were getting fisted on but make sure they have water make sure that they're comfortable and then you know get them some water and then while they're doing that why you know have stuff to clean them up. Like mm-hmm. don't make someone just get up and just walk to the bathroom and they've got this 
tons of lube all over them and all that. No, bring them a nice, warm to to hot washcloth, several of them, you know, and clean them and like, and you do it. Like, don't be like here and then make them clean it themselves. Offer to clean them, you know, offer to like, you know, give them a hug afterwards. Like, uh, you know, make sure that they feel like they, you know, that they just went through something and you care about them. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter, you know, and this isn't somebody that I have to be like, you know, almost their boyfriend or something like it could be somebody that I just met on Grindr that day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're supposed to care. Yeah, you care about that person. Yeah. Like and I think that goes for everything. I mean, sometimes the the sex could be bomb and just those little like the way they treated you before or the way they treated you after might turn even that whole experience a little sour. Because you're just like, Oh yeah, the sex is bomb, but he was in a hurry to get me out of your of their house, or he was just really didn't care about anything and, and that changes the experience, even even little things like that. And I think that we don't think about those things until they happen to us. Cause I know that there's been times where I'm like, I'm never going back there. Like, yes, the ass was amazing, but just the little things of like me feeling like I was annoying right after I came or we came where I was just like, this could be good, but I'm not doing this again. Yeah. That stuff really matters. I mean, and I think though, when, when something else, I guess I've just kind of learned over the years too, is that some people are just naturally not sensual. Some people are, I mean, I think I'm, I'm, I think I'm particularly mindful when it comes to sex and I'm particularly sensual, but there's a lot of people that just aren't. And if you're not a sensual person, please don't fist somebody. Well, I I don't think you necessarily, I'm not going to say don't do it, but I think there are little things that might just, it's not even a sensual thing. Like it's just being a good top or being a good bottom. Just, you know, if you're the one hosting, just make sure you have a wet rag. And even if you're not like, maybe you're, you go the extra mile to like wipe them down and take care of that for them. But maybe just being able to hand them a wipe and just be like, Hey, here you go. And that might make a world of a difference. Not, I don't think everybody has to like help the other person wipe, especially if you're just having vanilla sex with a grinder hookup, but it would just be nice to just be like, Hey, here's this wet wipe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's certainly a difference between, you know, maybe you've just penetrated somebody. Yeah. Yeah. The, then yeah, you might not have to do that. But yeah, fisting takes a lot out of somebody too. Like a person's kind of tired. Like the bottom is yeah. often very tired as, as well. So yeah, you definitely want to make, make sure you have like a wheelchair so they could like that scene, white chicks. Wow. <laughs> Where <they're... laughs> it's not that extreme, but I was just going to say like, but that, but, that, but, that, but that is something that you do particularly with kink play anyway. Like you, you definitely make sure that you are very attentive to that person. Yeah, yeah I think, and that's why I said like, yeah, we're talking about fisting, but I think that just fits overall the umbrella of just kink. Just that aftercare, that making sure that that aftercare is, is there too. But talking about aftercare and talking about having conversations between hookup, let's talk about how we met. <laughs> we interrupt our program to bring you this important message. So sorry for interrupting this episode, um, but this is going to be a two-parter, and you guys just listen to part one to listen to how me and my den daddy Eric met, and a bigger conversation we have about what leather spaces are becoming, and how we could grow, and how we could keep our identity while still growing. Come for a second part. Um, I love my den daddy so much, and I love having great conversations with him. And, for example, is this little podcast episode that went a little too long. But I hope you guys are enjoying it and come back to listen to episode two.
So remember to like, subscribe, leave a comment. You can follow me on Instagram at Chris Diva, and you can follow the pod at Hard Talks with Chris. And I want to give a special thanks to Jamison for letting me borrow his song, Fuckable, for the intro and outro.